ID the Future, a podcast about evolution and intelligent design. Greetings, I'm Tom Gilson. In today's ID the Future, we will hear part one of a talk on the superb engineering design of human joints. It's given by one who should know. Stuart Burgess is a mechanical and biomechanical engineer at Bristol University in Britain, a man at the top of his field who has designed everything from bicycle transmissions for Britain's gold medal-winning Olympic bicycle team to robotic arms for one of the largest satellites in the skies. And he's won multiple prestigious engineering awards along the way. In a way, this is two talks in one. His topic today is the human ankle joint, and he tells us in multiple ways and with many superlatives how remarkably perfect is its design. Then he picks up another theme as well, both here and in part two to come, in which he answers claims by an American biologist, Nathan Lentz, an evolutionist who says that, quote, no engineer would design joints the way the ankle is and the wrist as well. And when I say Burgess answers Nathan Lentz, I mean he really answers him. This talk was given at the 2022 Westminster Conference on Science and Faith. Thank you very much for your warm welcome. Uh, I was thinking of giving away some of the secrets to the Olympics, but now I know there's a team member from Team USA. I'm afraid I can't say anything. Uh, So I'm going to delete that from my uh, talk. It's really good to be here. When my flight was cancelled on Thursday, I was seriously worried about not making it. Uh, And apart from that, there were a lot of COVID forms to fill in, an attestation form, whatever that is, Uh, COVID certificates galore. But when I arrived here, they didn't ask for anything. So I'm not sure why I had to uh, do all that. So today, I'm going to explain why human skeletal joints are a masterpiece of engineering, not just good design, but a masterpiece of engineering. And I also want to give a rebuttal to those who uh, have these so-called bad design arguments to show that they're completely false. And right at the beginning of my talk, I want to answer an objection because some people say, well, don't skeletal joints sometimes go wrong? Perhaps you've heard that question yourself. The answer is, yes, skeletal joints do sometimes go wrong, but almost always it's not because of the way they're designed. There's normally two reasons skeletal joints go wrong. One is some kind of disease like arthritis. Uh, A second reason that skeletal joints go wrong is because they're overused or misused. And those two things are not to do with design. So it's really important to make that clarification. And it's also important to appreciate, it is remarkable that if you have a healthy uh, skeleton, if you have healthy joints, you don't have arthritis, and if you've looked after your joints, it is truly remarkable how your joints can last into your 70s and 80s and 90s. And that is an absolute marvel of engineering. As humans, we tend to focus on the negative sometimes. It's important to focus on the positive, that it is amazing how long uh, skeletal joints can last. And so if you want your joints to last a long time, make sure you look after them. Don't overload them. Don't do those dangerous sports. 
uh, don't do American football. That's a ridiculous sport uh, and very, very dangerous. So do look after your joints, and you could be amazed how long they last. Well, I wanted to make that clarification uh, right at the beginning. But I also want to, at the beginning, explain my interest uh, in human joints. I've been involved in biomechanics research for nearly 30 years, mainly at Bristol University and Cambridge University. I've also had a post at Liberty University in, in Virginia. And I've had many uh, PhD-level projects looking at joints, like the knee joint and the ankle joint and the hand joint. And I've had my own labs to do my own experiments with my own hands and my own uh, researches. And I've analyzed uh, many of the, the human joints, and I've been astounded at the performance of human joints in terms of functionality, efficiency, compactness, and endurance. Of those, I think the one aspect of performance that really amazes me continually is the compactness of human joints. If you work for a car company or a bike company or an aeroplane company, one of the most difficult things for a designer is to make things compact, to pack a lot of functionality into a small space. And the gold standard of that is biology. So that's what uh, impresses me the most. Now, last year, in 2021, I had a very exciting uh, year because I had a very prestigious fellowship at Clare Hall College, uh, Cambridge. And the title of that project was Using Engineering Principles to Model Biological Systems. And it was a great opportunity to do more biomechanics research, to look at the state of the art, to work with leading uh, researchers. And some really exciting results came out, and I'm going to share them with you. In fact, this is one of the first talks that I'm giving uh, based on my research at Cambridge University. Uh, I've, I've also spent time at Selwyn College, uh, Cambridge, but I particularly enjoyed this time at Clare Hall. But I have a second interest in human joints, and that is I've had a, the privilege of not only analysing human joints, but I've had the, a fairly unique position of also designing engineering joints that enables me to compare the two. So in engineering, I've been designing joints for nearly 40 years, some of the joints I've designed are for robots, uh, including robotic arms on spacecraft. Uh, you heard earlier, I work for the European Space Agency, and I design the main deployment system on the world's largest Earth observation satellite called Envisat. Picture that is shown there. Uh, it's a very large satellite. It would uh, only just fit into this hall. Why is it called Envisat? Well, there's two reasons. One is it's an environmental satellite. A second reason is that it's the world's largest Earth observation satellite, even bigger than every NASA Earth observation satellite. And they were very envious, so we called it Envisat. Not often. It's not often the Europeans make something bigger than the Americans. So, so what were the lessons of designing joints for these robots. One of the lessons was, even though with robotic engineering we use the best of human technology, the performance was nowhere near as good as human skeletal joints, particularly in terms of compactness, as I was saying before. Uh, but I've also 
uh, led the design of the transmission for Team GB Olympics, for the Rio Olympics uh, and the Tokyo Olympics. I don't know if your eyesight is very good, but on the bottom left, that result is Team GB first, Team USA second. <laughs> uh, and the reason I like this diagram is when I was working during uh, the development of the Rio uh, Olympics, I was redesigning the transmission for Team GB, and word from various spies came back. There's one other team redesigning their transmission, and it is Team USA. Uh, so which of those two teams will have the fastest transmission? Well, Team USA had a very fast transition, uh, transmission, and they won a lot of silver medals at, uh, <laughs> at Rio. So on the work I did with Team GB, we achieved the lowest friction ever achieved in a chain transmission. But then I looked up the friction levels in human skeletal joints, and the first result I found was that the friction level in the Team GB transmission, which is the lowest, is 50 times higher than in a human skeletal joint, which was quite a humbling fact uh, to find. Again and again, the answer is the same. The best of engineering does not compare with what we find in human skeletal joints. So it's been fascinating to compare the best of engineering with the best that we find in, uh, in biology. In this talk, I will focus on two joints. So we'll go into some detail on the ankle joint and the wrist joint. These are often underappreciated, so a lot of what I say will be new uh, to most of you. But they are fascinating joints, very complicated joints with very complex functions and with some really ingenious design features. In fact, I would say uh, the ankle and wrist are two of the most ingenious devices I have ever studied as an engineer, and I'll explain that during the talk. But these two joints have also recently had claims of bad design. Certain authors have focused on those two joints, so I thought these two are the perfect example to give, prime examples of brilliant design, and yet they're picked on by certain people as supposedly being bad. So just to summarize, there are two views. One view, which I hold, is that the ankle and wrist are masterpieces of engineering. And as I will explain, this is based on observational science in biomechanics and medicine. I've read hundreds of scientific papers in, in, in those two areas, and the overwhelming majority talk of human skeletal joints as masterpieces of engineering. Just to give you two examples, this is a standard biomechanics text. This is not a Christian text, it's a secular text. The ankle midfoot is superbly constructed for ambulation. And another medical reference, these ankle bones form the arches of the feet. They are quite a miracle of engineering, forming a structure both flexible and sturdy. I could give you so many quotes. I'll give you one more. Uh, a very famous quote from Leonardo da Vinci, the foot is a masterpiece of engineering. And here I need to acknowledge, this is where I got my title from. I was inspired by the great engineer and artist Leonardo da Vinci. Now he didn't just say, oh, the foot is a masterpiece of engineering. He based that on observation. He had a, 
uh, a great reputation for being a brilliant, not just a brilliant artist, but a brilliant engineer. And he made really fine anatomical uh, drawings, as you can see um, up here. A lot of people aren't aware he did a lot of design and construction of military machinery. And he also foresaw some of the inventions of the future. And of course, he was a great uh, artist. So you cannot dismiss this too lightly. Well, this is view one, masterpiece of engineering. But in recent years, a second view has come to light. And this second view, a very radical view, a very different view, is that the ankle and wrist have a bad design. It, when I started to hear this, I was just astonished. I, I've been working for decades, and all of a sudden, this view comes. And it's not based on observational science. I want to make that clear right now. It is based on evolutionary philosophical assumptions. And I can give an example of that. Because this book came out in around 2018, Human Errors, by Nathan Lentz from New York City University. And in his book, he focuses uh, one of his key examples of the ankle and the wrist joints. In fact, if you look at the book cover, the subtitle uh, mentions pointless bones. So for him, the ankle and the wrist are two of the key examples he wants to give of why humans are badly designed. Well, this is what he says in his book. Humans have way too many bones. Now, when he says that, there's no scientific reference. It's just a statement he makes based on the assumptions of evolutionary philosophy. The ankle contains seven bones, most of them pointless. No reference, just he proclaims that is a fact. The wrist has eight bones, like a useless pile of rocks. Evolutionary assumption. Evolution is poor at deleting bones, assuming that we need to have bones deleted, just another uh, assumption. And so his book has assumption after assumption after assumption, with no scientific reference at all. Now, when I first read this, I thought, well, this is a bit humorous, this is a bit funny. But then I thought, well, hang on, students are being taught this. Children are being taught this, not just across America, but across Europe as well. So actually, it's not funny. This is actually quite serious. So in this talk, we're going to see which view is correct. Because both these people can't be correct. Either Leonardo da Vinci is correct, the foot is a masterpiece of engineering, or Nathan Lentz is correct that it's, you know, terrible design with pointless bones. Both of these people can't be correct. Well, I'll show in this talk that Leonardo da Vinci is absolutely correct and Lentz is catastrophically wrong. Well, let's introduce the ankle joint then. The ankle joint is actually quite a big joint. It's much more than that knobbly piece at the bottom of your leg. The foot consists of three sections. There's the hind foot, the midfoot and the forefoot. And the ankle is actually two parts of the foot. So you can see the ankle is actually a big part of the foot. It's, it's a very big, important joint. And in the hind foot, you can see two bones. And in the midfoot, 
you can see five bones. Now, when Nathan Lent says most of the bones of the ankle are pointless, he's referring to the small bones of the midfoot. He cannot see any rhyme or reason to have little bones in the midfoot. Now, those, uh, so yes, the ankle joint is a complex joint, but as I will show, every single bone has a purpose. And in fact, every feature of every bone has a purpose. So here are the seven ankle bones. Uh, they've all got names. In the hind foot, we have the talus and the calcaneus. In the midfoot, we have the navicular, the cuneiform one, cuneiform two, cuneiform three, and the cuboid. Now, you don't need to remember uh, the names of all the bones, but it's useful to note there are two large bones in the hind foot, and there are five small bones in the midfoot. And I will be showing that even those five small bones have essential and precise functions with ingenious design features. So let me just summarize the multifunctioning foot and ankle. Your, your foot and ankle have five main functions. First of all, there's what's called flexion. It's actually uh, plantar flexion, dorsiflexion. Uh, this is for running and walking, pushing off your foot to go up. That's one of the main functions. Then you have pronation, where your foot rolls sideways. When you run, if you're running properly, you have a little bit of pronation. Too much is bad, but too little is bad. When you pronate, it acts like a shock absorber. Even if you're walking, if you walk on slightly uneven ground, you need to pronate your foot. So that's a key function. But strength is another important uh, function. The ankles and the feet take the weight of the whole body, so they have to be very strong, uh, especially when you lift something. But then your feet have to be flexible. Now, this is where things get rather clever, because it's very hard to make something both strong and flexible at the same time. That's a big challenge for an engineer, and the foot does it brilliantly well. If you ever want to uh, appreciate how incredibly well the foot can flex. Watch Wimbledon, tennis played on grass. When tennis players play on grass, they slide all over the place, and their feet do this most incredible uh, movement, and yet they can play for hours and go through the whole uh, two weeks if they get to the final, and their feet survive. It's a remarkable thing. And also balance. Balance is one of those things we take for granted. Humans have unique balance on two legs. We're bipeds, not quadrupeds. And we can have two-legged standing, one-legged standing. Standing is very easy to us, and I'll explain why uh, when I come to the details. So you have this, these multifunctioning foot and ankle. No engineer has ever designed a prosthetic foot or ankle with those five functions. Why? It's too difficult. It's just so difficult to do that. An engineer looks at this and says, wow, how do you pack that functionality into a tiny space of the foot and the ankle? It is quite uh, astonishing. And the performance in terms of functionality, efficiency, compactness, and endurance is incredible. When an engineer sees that, an engineer will say there must be something very clever in that foot and ankle. And indeed, there are some very clever things. So the foot and the ankle has some 
ingenious design. And one of the key aspects of ingenious design are three integrated arches. And this is in the biomechanics uh, literature. And there was a quote earlier, a miracle of engineering. Those arches are a miracle of engineering. So let's go through the three arches. The first one, shown in red, is the medial arch. This goes through your big toe. It's a really strong, powerful arch. When you push off, when you run, when you walk, most of the power comes through your big toe. By the way, your big toe is unique. Apes do not have a big toe. They have a, a toe like a thumb, even on their foot. But we have a unique big toe that points forward. So here we have the medial arch. And notice that two of the small bones of the midfoot are needed to make the medial arch. The cuneiform one and the navicular are needed to define that red medial arch. Then there's the lateral arch that goes through the little toe and the small toe next to that, the two smallest toes, the green arch here. This is a flatter arch than the red medial arch, and it's a more flexible arch, which is really useful because, as I will show, when you land on your foot, you land on the green arch. When you push off your foot, you push off the red arch. So these are two arches, and they're integrated because they join at the heel, so two integrated arches. But then there's a third arch, the transverse arch, that connects the medial arch and the lateral arch, as you can see. And you can see that transverse arch contains four of the small bones of the midfoot, all the cuneiforms, one, two, and three, and the cuboid. So you can see with these three arches, already you can see you need all seven bones of the ankle. We've hardly started looking at the ankle, and we've already proven Nathan Lentz to be wrong. You need all the bones of the ankle, but I'm only 1% through the talk. There's a lot more to come. So this is the ingenious design. You may not have thought your feet are the most beautiful part of your body, but I'm demonstrating that your feet are the most beautiful part of your body with these three integrated arches. And as I say, these are unique to humans. And what is, so what is so clever about these arches is that they are a solution to all five functions of the feet that I showed on the previous slide. And if we go through that now, let's look at the first function, flexion. This is for pushing off for running or walking or jumping. As I said before, this is the strong uh, medial arch, and uh, it's, it's the perfect design for powerful liftoff. By the way, apes cannot stand on their toes. They don't have an arch. Apes can't play sport. They can't do skateboarding. There was a film once about an ape skateboarding, and they had to do so many tricks uh, to tie his foot to the skateboard because apes cannot stand on their feet. We can, and we can play sport. I just want to mention on this slide an ingenious design feature. If you look carefully at the talus bone, Notice at the bottom how it profiles so it exactly joins the navicular. Exactly. So when you do a powerful push off of your legs, all the force will go through the media, medial arch. It won't go through the green arch because that talus is shaped exactly to go into 
the medial arch. And later, if you feel the knobbly bit of your bone, you can actually feel that little concave curve. It's quite easy to feel that concave curve once you get used to uh, that. So an ingenious little design feature. But then there's what's called dorsiflexion, where the foot comes up, so you land on your foot during walking or running, and then you've got that flatter green arch, gives you shock absorption, and then you can go through the cycle again, pushing off of the medial arch. So this is the first function, the ar two arches solving the first function. But then the transverse arch will solve the pronation function. Uh, pronation is actually a combination of eversion, flexion, and abduction. There are some complex axes in the ankle, but you don't need to worry about that. Just remember the pronation function. As I said, it's important for running when you land on your foot, also for walking on uneven ground, your foot rolls sideways. What is really uh, clever, this ingenious design feature, the transverse arch connects the lateral arch in green with the medial arch in red, that beautiful structure. Because when you land on your foot, your foot rolls and you've got to transfer your weight from the outside of your foot to the inside of the foot. But then there is a, a really clever feature. It turns out that your ankle does not function alone. It needs the fibula. Now, you may have thought, why do I need two bones in my lower leg? I've got the big tibia. Why do I need that little one called the fibula? The, the reason you need it, you need it to stabilize your ankle. Uh, not only does it stabilize the ankle, but it also gives an anchor point for muscles. So the fibula is very important for anchoring muscles, for stabilizing the joint. A good analogy is a car steering system. Have you ever looked at the linkage bars in a car steering system? If you haven't, I would encourage you to do that. You have four bars, four joints. Uh, linkage systems are always a sign of clever engineering, and that is what you find with the ankle joint, you have this linkage uh, system. As, you, as soon as you look into this, you see, wow, uh, there is this intricate engineering. Then we come to strength. Function number three of, of five functions, this is number three. And it turns out that these separate bones make a very strong arch. Now this is where things start to get very clever because the design of the ankle is using the same arch solution to solve all the different functions. So here, the arch is being used to make a very strong connection. Now, what you can see here on top is an arch with four bones. That's what you have in your foot. Below is what your foot would look like if you replaced the four small bones with one big bone. And the picture at the bottom is what Nathan Lentz believes is better, because he says the one at the top is pointless having four small bones, when you could just have one big bone. So bottom is what Nathan Lentz thinks uh, is right. But what Nathan Lentz is unaware of is that if you have individual bones in an arch structure, it is typically 10 times stronger than if you have a solid structure at the bottom. You can see in, on the slide, uh, for the individual bones, you have a, a formula for compression strength. At the bottom, you have a formula 
for tensile strength. The, bottom, the problem with the bottom structure is that it has what's called bending moments, tensile loads, shear loads. It's very weak, especially for a material like bone, which is very strong in compression, but very weak in tension. And so Nathan Lentz is unaware what he's recommending has one-tenth the strength of what is there at the moment. But of course, he hasn't studied engineering, so he's oblivious to what he's recommending. But not only that, those small bones also make highly efficient load paths. On the right-hand side, at the top is what you have in your foot. At the bottom is what Nathan Lentz thinks it should be. And again, he's got it catastrophically wrong, because at the top, ideally, you want little bones at the end of the, of the toes to give you a clearly defined compression load path. What you don't want is for your toes to run into this solid block, giving you bending moments and tensions and shears. You want these clear compression load paths. But again, he's unaware of what is optimal from a strength point of view. Then we come to function four, flexibility. Now, this is where it gets very challenging because flexibility is the opposite to strength and stiffness. When you get to flexibility, this is where engineers think, ah, how can I put flexibility into this structure? Well, the designer of the foot is a genius because he has put in this incredible flexibility. Notice on this diagram, on the left is the normal position of the transverse arch, it's a nice curve, but notice it can flex so it becomes flat. The transverse arch can flex from curved to flat, and as it does it, it absorbs shock, and is very good at absorbing shock as you run or you jump. Without that flexibility, uh, the forces would be so much greater in your feet. So it's an ingenious feature, and it's only possible because you have individual bones which are joined with those tight little ligaments. So the message I'm giving is every bone has a function and you need those little bones that Nathan Lentz claims are pointless. Not only that, but between all of the seven bones of the ankle joint, uh, there's a little bit of movement and it's just like an engineering bridge. Most of you probably know that uh, big structural bridges have flexible joints. If you drive over a bridge, you often have that thud-thud when you go over the thermal bearing to allow thermal expansion of the bridge. It's not just that. Bridges also have those joints and bearings for shock absorption, like this bridge shown here. And that is exactly the same principle that we find in the human foot. Those bones have very tight joints that allow shock absorption. Now, in the ankle, you don't notice much movement between those seven bones, in the same way that if you look at a bridge, you wouldn't see the movement. But that doesn't mean those joints aren't important. They're really, really important. If you took those joints out of a bridge, the bridge would not last so long. And if you take the joints out of the ankle, the ankle will not last so long. Just to give you uh, in this case, I'll give you an, a scientific reference. Uh, it's a, it's a, an important reference. Although movement in the midfoot ankle joint is limited, it allows suppleness and shock 
absorption. And there's lots of other references like that. This is the kind of reference that Nathan Lentz has not bothered to read. He's oblivious to the scientific literature on biomechanics. Then we come to the fifth and final function for the ankle, balance. And this is where I start to go through a real wow moment because using that same arch design to get balance is an absolutely ingenious design. This is something you probably take for granted. It's very easy to stand up. Why is it so easy? Because we can feel the back of our foot, the heel. We can feel the front of our foot, the sole. Uh, some people are born very flat-footed and they find it hard to stand up because they cannot feel the front and the back. It's hard to put their center of gravity through those two uh, points. Very hard for an ape to stand up. It's like a balancing act, but for us it's so simple. But this is where it gets just absolutely wow engineering because on our foot we have three-point contact the perfect, the ideal physical interface with the ground. You know the difference between a three-legged stool and a four-legged stool. And those three points, they are in the perfect place that allows you to put the center of gravity through one foot to stand on one leg. I'm standing on one leg, and to do that, I put my center of gravity between those through three points. So as well as designing those arches to do all those joint functions, strength functions, flexibility functions, they also do the balance function. The ankle, the foot, is a masterpiece of engineering. Leonardo da Vinci was absolutely, uh, absolutely correct. Why is it a masterpiece? That ingenious, multifunctioning, triple arched structure, combining stiffness and flexibility, every bone performing a crucial function. That was part one of a talk given by the highly distinguished mechanical engineer Stuart Burgess at the 2022 Westminster Conference on Science and Faith, a talk titled Why Human Skeletal Joints Are Masterpieces of Engineering. Stay tuned for more. For ID the Future, this is Tom Gilson. Thank you for listening. Visit us at idthefuture.com and intelligentdesign.org. This program is Copyright Discovery Institute and recorded by its Center for Science and Culture.